First, the bad news. SAP Business AI won't help you generate cubist versions of your family's holiday photos. But it will help you understand which supplier is best to help you roll out your plant-based packaging in Southeast Asia. Or identify the training your junior project manager needs to rise up the ranks. And automate repetitive tasks while you focus on big innovations. So you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology. Real-world results. That's SAP Business AI. First, we start with record high inflation, soaring interest rates. We had that full percentage point increase in the Bank of Canada rate yesterday. Man, this is really putting pressure on families. Fears of a recession. And here we go now with Premier John Horgan promising inflation relief. Have a listen to this. Horgan speaking yesterday to Global News reporter Richard Zussman. During COVID, we got money to people fast. I think we can do that again, but it's an enormous task to stand up these programs out of the blue because there's no inflation program in anybody's budget. So it takes time to work these things through. Okay. He wants to give people uh, money, sounds like. Now, there is talk of an increase in the existing carbon tax credit. Maybe he can do that. But Horgan also suggesting yesterday the B.C. government considering some kind of inflation rebate, give families money directly is it cash in your claw here to help you through inflation is this the right thing to do will it help people let's talk about it now with my guest peter millibar liberal mla i'm pleased to welcome him back to the show peter thank you for coming on always glad to be on mike thanks for having what do you what do you think about horgan's comments here some sort of relief is in the works doesn't sound like it could be anytime soon there he was hedging his bets on that Well, it's uh, troubling in a few fronts. Just a few hours earlier yesterday, the finance minister was asked uh, what measures she's working on, and she couldn't provide an answer. Then two hours later, the premier uh, came out with a climate action tax credit idea, which we've been calling for uh, for several months now. And it's not that complicated. It's a program that's already in place. Um, It's based on your, your income levels. There's a formula based on your income levels. People that get a GST rebate, would have saw their climate action uh, money come into their bank accounts on July 5th, uh, just recently. Uh, the next disbursements in October, then in January again. Um, basically, they can't need to tell the feds how much more money to transfer into low and middle income people's uh, uh, payment, and it's done. And so this isn't that complicated. It shouldn't have taken the months upon months to even remotely consider it as a concept. Uh, and the Premier obviously doesn't understand the program if he's saying that it's really complicated and and uh, it's going to take a long time to try to uh, process it. I'm just looking at the government's website on this program right now, this Climate Action Tax Credit. It says the maximum amount an individual could receive for an individual and their spouse or common-law partner would be 174 bucks. That's yeah. not a, That's not a lot, right? So you're saying, what, that should be increased? Well, we've called for this uh, for months, and, and we said they should put about $250 million in, into that uh, this year. If they did that with the remaining three uh, payments that are due uh, for this year, you would essentially double the payments over the remainder of this year. Uh, that's what we've called for all along. It's about a $330 million existing program. Uh, during COVID, it got bumped up to about $740 million to get extra money out to low- and middle-income families. 
again, this is targeted to those that need the help the most. Uh, it's based yeah. on your income. It's based on your tax filings, your household income. It takes into account already whether or not you have dependents and everything else. All of that calculation's already been done. Literally, right. the government just needs to tell the feds, here's here's the bump up money, make the next disbursement uh, X amount of dollars more, and it's, it's all done. Yeah, I'm taking a look at the... Uh the eligibility criteria on the program right now. So like you said, it is means tested. If you're high income, you don't, you're not, you don't qualify for this money. So for a single person, if you have a net income of $44,800 or more, uh, you would not get any money. Um, do you think that those, those income levels should be changed too? So if you're, if you're making more money, you should, you should qualify or are you happy with those levels? Well, well, the history of the program is this actually started while we were in government when the carbon tax first came in, and it escalates every time carbon tax goes up. A little bit more money goes into this to, to fund on the same proportionate rate as it started out as. The income levels have always gone up a little bit as, as average incomes raise, um, and so we're saying let's not overcomplicate this. There's an existing program. There's existing income thresholds. Um, you want to be mindful of not just trying to print money to stop inflation, because we all know that creates its own problems on inflation. Uh, but uh, having targeted help to low-income households, um, I think, is a prudent thing to do, given people are having so much trouble right now trying to buy groceries, okay. uh, fill up their gas tank. Okay. At the same time, Horgan yesterday talking about some sort of inflation relief. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau also asked about this, rising interest rates, rising inflation. And he said the feds are apparently going to do something, too. Let's listen to what Trudeau had to say yesterday. i get your thoughts. We know uh, that families are struggling. And that's why, as a government... We made a promise to have people's backs, and we've continued to, with investments to support families, including by cutting childcare costs in half, uh, by stepping up with increases in the CCB, in support for seniors, continuing to invest uh, in students uh, and in young people being able to afford uh, their educations. But yes, Canadians need further support, and we'll continue to be there for them. Okay, so he outlined a whole lot of expensive programs the feds have already rolled out, and then he's and then he seemed to suggest there was more to come. Uh, I mean, you just said though, Peter, like isn't isn't the government giving out money part of the problem? Like, isn't that causing inflation? Well, you have to be careful in how you do it, and it has to be very targeted. And again, this is for low and middle income um, families. Um, you know the the. The Premier told the finance minister three months ago, very publicly, to work on inflationary measures uh, to help people. Three months later, yesterday, she still had nothing new to offer. Uh, she kept referring to the ICBC rebate, which many of those low- and middle-income people still don't have, which was announced in March. Um, and then two hours later, the Premier suddenly had an idea. So uh, one that we've been calling for, for for months and years. Or months, but I mean, the, the reality is, government spends money. Uh, government spends money on infrastructure projects that pumps it back into the economy. You have to be careful with how much you spend, how much you push into the economy. Absolutely, um, and and trying to artificially do it. But we're talking a couple hundred million dollars here, spread out over a couple of payment cycles to help those uh, that are our lowest income, uh, middle about, income, working poor. What about the gas taxes in BC? You've called for that to be chopped as well is that still on the table it doesn't it doesn't look like horgan wants to go there at all well we we've called for that uh, all along we've seen gas prices start to come down unfortunately in kamloops where i am uh, they still haven't dropped so people are pretty upset about that understandably but uh we're seeing those gas prices come down again we had called for a, 
a three-month suspension, which would have cost about another $250 million uh, when we first called for it. It, it takes in about a billion dollars a year in gas tax revenue, so that's the, the quick rough math there. Um, but, uh, you know, they, they haven't done either, and, and that's the worry is people are saying, where's any help at all? And, and the Premier to now say that uh, something like a climate action tax credit, which has been out for, for literally uh, years and years and years, a decade and a half, um, is going to be overly complicated and, and uh, difficult and take them several months to figure out how to distribute money through that vehicle um, yeah, indicates no. that they're really not serious. All right, welcome back to the show as we continue talking about inflation. What should the government do about it? Premier John Horgan suggesting yesterday help is on the way. Some kind of carbon tax credit could be increased. He suggested, he also said there might be some sort of inflation rebate coming from the provincial government. Phone me right now. I got open phone lines right now. You phone me now, you're going to get through. 604-280-9898 is the number to call. 604-280-9898. How is this inflation impacting you, your family, your business? Do you think it'll make any difference at all if John Horgan gives you a couple hundred bucks? 604-280-9898. Star 9898 on your cell. Peter Millibar is my guest. Let's go to Brent on the line in Victoria. Hi, Brent. What do you think? Hi. Uh, good morning, Mike. Good morning, Peter. Um, definitely uh, people on low income or fixed incomes uh, could definitely benefit from an inflationary credit, like a rebate or like a carbon tax credit. However, um, you know, making them wait until, like, say, uh, when the GSTs come out, like, you know, in increments, that's going to be too long. Like, people are suffering right now. So they need, like, a fast rebate uh, coming out. Um, it's like the CDB, like the federal one, they've been waiting over two years for, uh, for that kind of relief. And, but we have your backs apparently from the federal level, but we're still waiting. Like, uh, you know, they're talking about seniors, uh, but and people on like low income, but they promise, but nothing ever gets delivered. So definitely Mike, I definitely think that that would definitely help people right now because people are suffering a 39 year high of inflationary increases. Like I've never seen this in my life and. Yeah. It's scary. Now we're going to go into a recession possibly next year. So we need help now, not later. Hey, Peter. Or thank you for the call, Brent. I appreciate it. Peter Millibar, your thoughts? Well, I, I totally agree with Brent. And, and uh, you know, if, if the premier, who always says he uh, good ideas can come from anywhere, had listened to Kevin Falcon and our our uh, suggestion that this be actioned and when we first were talking about this back in March and in April again, um, it would have been distributed on July 5th. Um, instead, and let's face it, if you're a lower middle income uh, person, you're probably on a monthly payment plan with your ICBC. Those are the people that are still waiting for their ICBC $110. Still, that was announced in March. So I, I have very little faith that the Premier, after saying, him hearing, hearing him say how convoluted he thinks this program is to get rolling again, uh, will even yeah. meet the October 5th deadline. And, and no. that's simply not acceptable. People need yeah. help and they need it as soon as possible. Yeah, like the program he's talking about is precisely the one that the, the liberals have been calling for to be adjusted for, for months. And this is the one he specifically referenced yesterday in this interview. And it, it's not complicated at all. I mean, they could just do that by regulation, right? Like, couldn't he just do that with a stroke of a pen? You don't even need to pass something in the, in the legislature to do it. Correct? Or yeah. do you? Um, I'm not 100% sure, but I'll, I'll guarantee you this. If they needed to call us back for one day uh, yeah. to have this pass through, um, you know, I, I don't want to speak for our House leader, but I'm pretty confident if we could uh, 
uh, get help to low and middle income families by showing up and, and doing a day at the legislature to make that happen, uh, that would be okay. doable. Uh, if it's a case of regulation, uh, just get it done. And, and that's, that's really the problem here is that, uh, again, uh, you know, our party seems to have a leader that's uh, got a long track record of taking decisive action and getting on with something. And the NDP are, are dithering and, and at a time that people can't afford them to be dithering. Back to the phone call. Steve on the line in Kelowna. Hi, Steve. Go ahead. Hi there. How are you doing? I appreciate you letting me on. I am, sure. I, you know, I hear a lot about that and it gets a lot of hype about the interest rates going up and people are worried about losing their homes and things like that. But, you know, what about how can we protect ourselves and how can we prepare for two or three years down the road when our mortgages do come up for renewal and have gone from 2% to 5% or, or something like that, you know, maybe the listeners need to hear some of the, how, how to help themselves. Okay. Thank you for that. Peter, do you want to say anything about that? Well, I just said it, that's definitely going to be a concern in a couple of years if interest rates stay high and depending where people were leveraged and, and uh, what the housing price is, if they have the equity needed to not be underwater when they go to renew. And that's, yeah, that's no, definitely a concern. Yeah, it is concerning for sure. Dave and Burnaby. Hey, Dave, go ahead. Hey, Mike, thanks for taking my call. Sure. Uh, I wanted to point out that, you know, the government isn't going to be giving us any money back. That's our money that they have already. And my point is, yeah. I guess, is that maybe the government should be looking at eliminating some taxes that they put on our poor souls so that we can afford to live instead of them just playing a... You think, you think John Horgan... You think John Horgan's going to cut taxes? <laughs> I don't think. Taxes. I that's don't think hard. that's it. That's not in his DNA. He goes the other direction. This is a guy who puts up taxes. He's not a tax cutter. That's but, for but sure. Mike, yeah, Mike, thirty seconds. That, that raises a very interesting point. Let's remember back to when COVID was first hitting. Carol James, then the finance minister. Uh, froze carbon tax increases, uh, made some uh, freezing of other taxes that were going to go up because they were worried about the tax implications on people and their affordability, not knowing what was going to unfold with COVID. All right, welcome back to the show. Here we go now with the Conservative Party leadership race. Patrick Brown is out, disqualified by his own party. Brown has now endorsed Jean Charest for the top job. But is it too little too late to stop Pierre Polyev? New poll out suggests he's way ahead here. He joins me now to discuss. Pierre Polyev, thank you for coming on again. Great to be with you. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it a lot. Let's start with the leadership contest here. Your opponents are now in full attack mode against you here. Patrick Brown this week endorsed Charest. He says, you must be stopped, that you will destroy the party if you win. What do you say to that? Well, Patrick Brown has been caught breaking the rules again, and that's why the party threw him out. I'm not going to spend any more time on him. We'll let the law enforcement uh, take care of the rest. My focus instead is on fighting for the buying power of people's paychecks. You know, uh, inflation is now at a four-decade high. Single moms can't afford food for their kids. 35-year-olds are stuck living in parents' basements because of house prices. And it costs uh, 2 to $2.50 a litre to gas up your vehicle across Canada. Our, our working class is under attack by the inflation that the federal government has caused. And my mission is to uh, make government affordable, so life support, lower taxes, and get rid of the inflationary deficits so that people can take back control of their money and their lives. 
Okay, I, I, I will ask you about that for sure. I want to play a couple of clips here from Justin Trudeau and what he had to say on that yesterday, get your thoughts. But just before I move on from the, the leadership race, let me play a clip here for you from Patrick Brown on an earlier appearance here at CKNW uh, going after you. Uh, here's what he had to say, and then I'll get your thoughts. Right now, he is making campaign commitments that look like he'd be a good fit for the Texas Republican Party, wanting to ban childhood uh, vaccine mandates for uh, polio, for um, measles and smallpox, uh, wanting to fight inflation using cryptocurrency, which has been discredited, um, and associating with the likes of Pat King and the and the Freedom Convoy. And, you know, I... Uh, I'm pitching a very different, inclusive version of conservatism. I, I hope the Conservative Party doesn't take that extreme approach. Uh, I think it would be a gift to the Liberal Party of Canada. What do you say to him? I, I appreciate he's out of the race now. He's been disqualified. But does that indicate, though, that this is a, a, a potentially a fractured party here and you've got some very unhealable divisions? Are your thoughts? Patrick Brown has no following in the party, and his, everything he said in that interview is false. Uh, he has a long-standing track record of lying. Uh, my position on vaccine mandates is that uh, they should be people should be able to make their own decisions with regards to COVID-19 vaccines, and that's the position I took from the start, and it's what I defend. Um, as for the issue of inflation, my plan there is to get rid of the carbon tax to lower the cost of gas and groceries, to eliminate the inflationary deficits uh, that are driving up the cost of living, and to create more of what cash buys by removing government gatekeepers so we can produce more energy, grow more food, and build more houses. That's what my real plan is, and everything Patrick Brown has said to the contrary is false. Okay, one of the things he mentioned there was uh, cryptocurrency and your enthusiasm for it, your promise to turn Canada into a, a crypto powerhouse on, in the, on the world stage. I remember uh, back in March when you, you bought that shawarma with some uh, Bitcoin, and I note that Bitcoin has crashed in value uh, since then. Are you, are, like, are you still bullish on Bitcoin? Like it's, it's been a train wreck here, Bitcoin. Well, my view is that uh, it should be regulated. There should be standard right, rules and regulations for cryptocurrency and crypto assets uh, across the country, uh, that it should be legal for people to use it uh, at their own risk. I don't believe it, uh, it should be our legal tender. Uh, all your taxes should continue to be paid in Canadian dollars, uh, and that should be the only uh, legal tender we have in the country. Uh, but I do think a regulated... Um, standard approach across the country that allows people to use, uh, uh, if they choose, uh, on a voluntary basis where buyers and sellers agree, uh, is a reasonable position. What, what would you say to any of your supporters who had invested in Bitcoin based on your enthusiasm for it, who have now lost a lot of money? Well, I, I don't think that's a fair characterization. Uh, I think that people have to make their own investment decisions. And I believe that, uh, you know, in uh, whenever you invest, you have to uh, be careful that you, you only invest what you can afford and in assets that you're comfortable with. So in a free market, that means individuals make their own decisions and take responsibility for, the, for them. 
Speaking of Pierre Polyev, leadership candidate for the Conservative Party, let me play a clip here for you from Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. He was asked yesterday about that big interest rate hike announced by the Bank of Canada. We've got record high inflation in the country right now. He was asked about any relief he could offer to Canadians. He was specifically asked about potentially cutting federal gas taxes. Here's what he had to say, and I'll get your thoughts. There is more to do, and part of that more to do is to make sure that our economy uh, moves forward in a way that is less dependent on fossil fuels. Okay, so he's asked about gas taxes and he said we need to make the country less dependent on, on fossil fuels. What do you think of that answer? Like, would you cut gas taxes right now? Yes, I said that we should do two things. One is to get rid of the federal carbon tax mandate that is proposed, that Trudeau proposes to more than triple which would uh, raise the cost of everything uh, for Canadians. And, it, it, you know, I know B.C. already has a carbon tax, but it would be triple the current tax if Trudeau's plan goes ahead, and that would cost uh, British Columbians a fortune. Um, secondly, I think we should give Canadians a gas tax holiday for the summer. Um, prices are exorbitant, um, and this spike is unsustainable for a lot of families. Uh, so I propose that just between now and September that we uh, give uh, all Canadians a federal gas tax holiday. We play another clip for, for you from the, pre the Prime Minister yesterday talking about the record high inflation we're experiencing in the country right now and what has caused it. I know you have called it just inflation. You blame Trudeau for inflation. He says this is a global phenomenon. Here's what he had to say. I'll get your thoughts. Cost of living uh, hikes are a challenge. This global inflation crisis, which is hitting hard uh, around the world, I mean, we talked about it a lot during uh, our summits over the past uh, few weeks internationally, particularly hitting hard in the global south, but we see a confluence of factors, whether it's the war in Ukraine, uh, whether it's uh, the ongoing pandemic, uh, the disruption on supply chains, or even uh, climate pressures. Okay, so he lists a number of causes of inflation. He says it's happening all around the world. He's correct on that, isn't it? Isn't inflation happening everywhere? It's happening everywhere that governments have been irresponsible. So, yes, it's true that in the United States and Great Britain and Europe, where governments have run these monster deficits, uh, they have uh, resulted in inflation. Um, and uh, But in countries like Switzerland, they have low inflation because they manage their money well. They don't spend what they don't have. So uh, there's no question that when you take uh, a, high, a half a trillion dollars of deficits uh, in Canada, 200 billion of which had nothing to do with COVID, by the way, uh, that you're going to have more dollars chasing fewer goods, which equals higher prices. Uh, that, all that government spending bids up the cost of goods and services and, and raises the price of everything. And, and on top of that, we have a, um, a, a taxes that drive up the cost of hiring people, starting businesses and uh, buying energy, all of that is causing more inflation. So Justin Trudeau is responsible. Uh, the more he spends, the more things cost. That's why I call it just inflation, just inflation. The, the answer is to cap government spending by bringing in a pay-as-you-go law, which requires politicians find a dollar of savings for every new dollar of spending. That, uh, that, that would allow the taxpayer and the economy to catch up with the cost of government so that we can have an affordable life here in Canada. So we're like, but you've already outlined some tax cuts that you would like to see implemented very, very quickly here. If big government deficits are the problem, if you cut taxes and cut government revenue, 
don't you risk even higher deficits? No, because the, the carbon tax doesn't actually, despite that it costs a lot to taxpayers, it doesn't actually raise a lot of money for the government um, because it, 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 much of the cost is economic. It, it drives down economic growth and costs people uh, indirectly. Uh, secondly, I also propose to control spending. Uh, the, the, the main culprit is actually overspending. Higher taxes and deficits are actually just the symptoms. Uh, so you have to control spending. We have to get back to funding core services, back to basics, rather yeah. than funding um, everything under the sun. Um, and uh, when you have a, an affordable government, you'll have an affordable quali- quality of life for the people. What would, what would you cut? Like, what government programs would you cut? I would defund the CBC to save a billion dollars. I'd uh, eliminate the $35 billion infrastructure bank, which exists only to guarantee the profits of large uh, uh, multinational construction companies. I would cut uh, billions of dollars of corporate welfare uh, so that we could use the savings to lower taxes for small businesses. Um, And uh, as I said, I would cap overall spending with a pay-as-you-go law that allows uh, that requires politicians find a dollar of savings for every new dollar of spending measures. How? Last question for you: How will you bring this party together if you win here in September? It looks like you've got a, a big lead that maybe can't can't be erased at this point. Like the party seems to be very fractured and divided right now. I mean, I'm just looking at we played some of those clips from Patrick Brown. I'm looking at some clips from Jean Charest. You know criticizing your extremism how are you going to bring this party together if you win well look i have i stand for the conservative values that that unite us all low inflation low taxes and low deficits um uh, law and order to hold uh, criminals accountable for the violence they're causing in our streets um developing our natural resources so that we no longer import overseas oil to canada uh, right now, we're importing 130,000 barrels of overseas oil, uh, while we have a third, the third biggest supply of our own that we can't actually get to market. We should develop our resources, uh, to develop bigger, powerful uh, Canadian paychecks. Uh, and finally, I think we should give people back control of their lives. Big, bossy government has taken people's money and told them what to do. Um, and that is why people are, feel like they've lost control of their lives whether it's their medical decisions, their, their, the opinions they can express online, uh, or their money. And I want to give people back control of their lives by making Canada the freest country on earth. Those are the principles that will unite our party and our country. Thank you for your time today. Okay, great. Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. Good to be with you.
Okay, let's talk about trends in the fast food industry there. You heard the jingle there for Popeye's chicken. You know, this uh, is always of interest to me as an occasional consumer of a fast food burger. Everything in moderation. That is my motto. Every now and then, though, I will hit the drive-thru. Okay, Popeye's chicken. You ever had their chicken? I think it's really, really good. And here's the news on this one. They are expanding throughout North America, opening up hundreds of new restaurants, including some right here in Metro Vancouver. So Popeye's Louisiana Kitchen, full name of the restaurant, uh, confirming they will open locations in downtown Vancouver on Hamilton Street by the end of this year. Also planning to open one on Main Street. Popeye's also set to open at Burnaby's Metro Town later this year. There's already a Popeye's in Burnaby on Kingsway. Also looking to expand to Coquitlam and on Vancouver Island as well. So yeah, Popeye's uh, chicken expanding in Metro Vancouver and British Columbia overall. Do you remember how the Popeye's chicken sandwich took off a few years ago and started the chicken sandwich wars? Let's listen to this report on that. Have a listen. In the summer of 2019, another cultural phenomenon took place. The launch of Popeye's Chicken Sandwich was an inflection point for the fast food company and kicked off what industry insiders have referred to as the Chicken Sandwich Wars. Chicken has been having a moment for quite some time now. So, you know, it's hard to say that this, you know, this one sandwich changed the trajectory of QSR Chicken. But it certainly changed the trajectory for Popeyes. All right, QSR, quick service restaurants, is what that means. Let's discuss now with our in-house expert on everything to do with the quick service restaurant industry, Robert Carter, managing partner at the Stratton Hunter Group. He's one of the top experts on in the field in Canada on fast food restaurants. Robert, it's nice to talk to you again. Yeah, great to talk with you. Yeah, for sure. Thanks a lot for coming on. So Popeye's Chicken announcing this big expansion throughout North America, including many restaurants set to open here in Metro Vancouver and beyond. What do you think of that? Yeah, I'm, you know what? I'm surprised that there hasn't been an expansion into the BC area uh, sooner than now. But, you know, Popeye's with over 3,400 units worldwide, all through the U.S. and countries all over and on the east, in uh, the eastern Canada areas, you know, lots of lots of Popeyes, and as your listeners may or may not be aware, uh, Popeyes is owned by the same company that owns Tim Hortons. So you would expect they'd have a pretty aggressive expansion plan within the Canadian market. Yeah, when you heard that report, it talked about the chicken sandwich wars. Can you tell me yeah. about that? Are the chicken sandwich wars still going on? Yeah, that that was such an interesting uh, situation in twenty. You know, it'd it, say it started sort of twenty eighteen into twenty nineteen, the chicken sandwich war. So, uh, it definitely continues to be popular. A lot of quick service restaurants have really put a lot of innovation around their chicken sandwiches, and that continues to drive consumer interest. So. Not as hot and popular as it was in 2019, but yeah, I would say the chicken sandwich wars, they continue. What are your, what are your thoughts on Popeye's uh, ex- aggressive expansion going on here with this particular franchise, opening hundreds of new restaurants, especially coming out of, out of COVID and, and a bit of a dodgy economy right now? Does that surprise you or, or are, all, are all quick service restaurants in expansion mode right now? 
Yeah, pretty much all quick service restaurants are really in expansion mode. You know, they were uh, as a segment within the restaurant industry least affected by the impact of COVID. Obviously, with their off-premise and and delivery and using the third-party aggregators and drive-throughs. So, you know, the the name of the game as we move over the next couple of years is really expansion through unit counts. So, pretty much all of the top. Uh, quick service restaurant chains have announced pretty aggressive expansion plans, not only within the Canadian market, but U.S. and from a global standpoint. Okay, that's really interesting, especially after COVID when restaurants in general took a real pounding. But would you say like the fast food restaurants got through COVID better than like sort of sit down traditional restaurants? Yeah, absolutely. You know, the the sit down, traditional sit down restaurants, they were having a... um, much greater challenge through the the COVID period. They had to adjust their business models. They may not have been as technology uh, technologically advanced as some of the quick service players were. And then obviously off-premise, you know, drive-through and delivery takeout were a much bigger part of the quick service restaurant segment. So some of the quick service restaurants, such as the pizza and some of the chicken players, you know, they, they actually saw some um, pretty good numbers through COVID. So coming out, of the COVID, uh, you know, we're still not out of the woodwork yet, and the economy is taking a bit of a downturn. So there's some challenges, but they were much better positioned compared to the other segments of the industry. Would you say that's true across the entire, most of the spectrum of this industry, like all the big companies like McDonald's, Burger King, they all did well? Yeah, so I would say some did better than others for sure. You know, you had players like a McDonald's that had a heavy focus on breakfast. Tim Hortons had heavy focus on breakfast, obviously with people not going out to the workplace and whatnot. That impacted them um, at a greater rate compared to some of the other quick service uh, competitors overall. But, you know, just in the last year within the quick service uh, industry in Canada, you know, we've seen an over 20% growth rate um, for, for dollars just in the 2022 wow. versus 2021. So, you know, very strong growth. We're not expecting it to be the same level of growth uh, as we've come through the back half of the year. But 2023 into 2024, you know, our industry, restaurant industry in Canada is expected to rebound pretty aggressively. So, you know, getting your expansion plans in place, opening up more units to positions you for better growth down the road. Speaking of Robert Carter from Stratton Hunter, he's one of Canada's top experts on the fast food industry. Let me ask you about a, another story, Robert, that has made headlines uh, around the world, and that is McDonald's, their decision some months ago to pull out of Russia after Russia's invasion of Ukraine. And it's interesting here now, McDonald's has now sold all of their restaurants in Russia to a Russian company, they got like 700 restaurants. All of them have been sold to a Russian company now, which is they have rebranded the restaurants. They've got a new name. They're selling similar products, burgers and fries, going through some troubles here. But have a listen to this report. This is from the BBC on the rebranding of McDonald's in Russia. Have a listen. The first of the former McDonald's restaurants in Russia has opened in Moscow under a new name, which translates as Tasty and That's It. The U.S. chain pulled out of the country last month following the invasion of Ukraine. Russia continues to face a whole raft of international sanctions which have hit its economy hard. Our Russia editor Steve Rosenberg has the story. 
In Moscow, the burgers are back. This was McDonald's. Not anymore. The US fast food giant has left Russia in protest at the invasion of Ukraine. And it sold all its restaurants here, more than 800, to a local company. Okay. Uh, it's interesting that they had a, a pretty successful launch of this re- these rebranded McDonald's restaurants uh, in in Russia. Robert, they sold. They say they sold 120,000 burgers on day one. But now I'm reading about some of the troubles they've had. They've run out of French fries. There's a potato shortage in Russia. They've had some other troubles with their food. What are you hearing? Yeah, you know, the global supply chain within our industry, the restaurant industry, is very difficult at this day and age. And I'm sure your uh, listeners have all experienced different uh, restaurant chains in the local area where product has been out, such as, you know, Starbucks is experiencing some challenges and some of the big uh, quick service players. So this just mirrors what's taking place from a global standpoint. But, you know, little known fact, your listeners may or may not know, but the person who started the McDonald's uh, concept here in Canada, the, the master franchisee, was also the first franchisee in Russia. So that there's a strong oh. Canadian connection to that uh, overall, um, which, is, which is quite interesting. So I know that, you know, from a, a local standpoint, it's, um, you know, hurts probably even more with the whole conflict in, in Russia and Ukraine. But, you know, from a McDonald's standpoint, given their commitment to, you know, social and um, diversity and whatnot, it's, it's the right thing to do, given the current climate in that country. Okay. Do you think that, you know, the troubles they're having there, I mean, for people who want a, a McDonald's type burger in Russia, they probably don't have a lot of other options to go to. Yeah, exactly. I mean, McDonald's wasn't the only uh, U.S.-centric uh, brand to pull out. There was quite a few. And uh, so, you know, it's just all around just a bad, bad situation. But, um, hey. you know, at the end of the day, we'll see as things uh, turn around what, what happens. I was I watched a video this week of a new drive-through that is they're working on at uh, Burger King and it looked like something out of uh 2001 a space odyssey is like you know space age four lanes a four lane drive-through a lot of really really everything automated looking very different and new I see other franchises looking at similar trends like do you think the drive-through restaurant especially after the experience with COVID could become more and more popular in the days ahead? Yeah, I think so. You know, they've been on a steady growth trajectory with more and more restaurants looking at how do they make it more convenient to access them uh, overall. And now we see such a in, uh, increase in technology, you know, uh, McDonald's a couple of years back bought an artificial intelligence uh, development company to tie their uh, AI directly into their drive-through uh, process. And now we're seeing the other quick service restaurants also jump on that bandwagon uh, just to make it easier to get through that drive-through. So, yeah, I would say we'll continue. And even with, you know, the Popeye's uh, drive-throughs, um, you, you've also got some Chick-fil-A's coming out there your way as well. They'll be drive-through. So, yeah, a lot more drive-through uh, restaurants in the landscape over the coming years. Robert, it's always a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you for coming on today. Yeah, great chatting with you, Mike. Talk soon. All right, welcome back to the show. 
Let's talk about e-scooters now. This is a story we've talked about before on the show. We have more and more municipalities are now legalizing these electric scooters. Now, they look like the old-fashioned kick scooters that you may have used when you were a kid. But, of course, these ones are motorized, and they can book it, too. They can go pretty quick, and you see more and more of these e-scooters on the road. There are rules about where you can ride them. They're becoming more and more popular. And I'll tell you what, it's tough to buy one these days because they are so popular. On an earlier show, I spoke to Bradley Spence. He's the owner of EV's Scooter Shop in Vancouver. And he says, yeah, they have a tough time keeping these in stock. Have a listen. You can't stop this micro-mobility movement. It's here. It's here to stay. And cities are going to need to adapt to have more space and to have more rules uh, around these things. Our toughest job right now is keeping them in stock, and it's been soaring beyond our imagination. There's so many of these things being purchased every single day. It's definitely here to stay. Hey, Bradley Spence there from EV's Scooter Shop. Yeah, they are selling lots of those electric e-scooters for sure. Okay, there are also companies available where you can take one of these e-scooters out for a spin on a rental basis, including... Go Scoot, and they're located in Coal Harbor. Let's check in with the manager now, uh, Leanne Lee. I'm very pleased to welcome her. Hi, Leanne. Hi, Mike. Thanks for having me on the show. You bet. Thanks a lot for coming on. Tell me about Go Scoot. Where are you guys located exactly? Uh, we're located at the Westin Bayshore Hotel. It's the east entrance, 1601 Bayshore Drive. Uh, we opened last year in 2021. Uh, we're a COVID-born business. Uh, the owners went out for a scooter ride one evening, a beautiful summer night, and uh, were hooked. They realized <laughs> this is something that Vancouverites and tourists would absolutely love. So it's been an absolute uh, roller coaster of, of very great experiences. And I'm here to just promote uh, how great this is in terms of recreation and um, we've had nothing but great Google reviews about uh, this experience. Yeah, I know. I've been checking out your reviews online for Go Scoot, and it is very popular. I know you guys are uh, doing a, a brisk business down there. So how does this work? Like people show up, they can rent a scooter like by the hour, by the day. How does that work? Yeah, so our business is it's an in-person, customer-focused business where the customer rents and returns from the same location, our store location. Uh, as soon as they enter the store, they're greeted, they're provided with a helmet, uh, they're given safety instructions, instructions on how to ride, a free demo if they, if they require it, um, and what not to do. Uh, the cost is by minute, so it's prorated, whereby the customer pays for only the time they use, and uh, they can go for 45 minutes, they can go for four hours. And uh, it's uh, it's all based on a an app as well as uh, we also do a form. How much does it cost? Let's say you go up for an hour. How much would that cost? So that's thirty dollars. Thirty dollars okay. for an hour, and if you went out for forty five minutes, it would be twenty two fifty. Okay, well that's not that's not too bad actually. Okay, speaking to Leanne Lee, manager of Go Scoot in in Coal Harbor, there uh, e scooter rental company. I know that. Some of these e-scooter rentals have been controversial in some other communities because the format on some of them was you could take one of these electric scooters out for a spin and then 
leave it anywhere. You could leave it on on this, you know, by the side of the road. You leave it on a sidewalk, and I guess it's got like GPS technology embedded in them, so they can find them later. But that's not the way you guys operate, right? Yeah, definitely not. We're really yeah. different in the sense that you're getting a customer focused experience where a customer is is given a lot of instruction, a lot of guidelines. Um, you know, f- a friendly face to to um, ask questions about uh, how to ride, where to ride. And we really wanted to showcase how beautiful Vancouver is and give a very positive but safe experience so that they will come back and remember Go Scoot. Yeah, and when you're done with your scooter ride, you return the scooter to the store so they're not left around on the sidewalk, right? You're right. You're okay. right. And that was that's all what the bad publicity about scooters were, that they're scattered and littered throughout the city, not parked where they're supposed to be. So right. with our model, they return them back to the store. And we do have GPS tracking. So in the event that one of our riders ha- experiences some trouble during their ride, we can find them very quickly and we can send a staff person out there to rescue them and and retrieve their scooter or, or give them another one if they need it. Okay, speaking to Leanne Lee from Go Scoot. So, Leanne, I know I know you've listened to our earlier coverage on this issue on the show, and that, that's how we connected here. And so I know you've heard some of the some of the people who love the e-scooters and others who are not so hot on them, who think that some people will use them irresponsibly or ride them on the sidewalk or ride them dangerously. Vancouver Police Department, this is on their radar. I spoke to Steve Addison, spokesperson for the Vancouver Police Department, about this on an earlier show, about people who may be breaking the rules riding these electric scooters. Here's what he had to say to me, then I'll get your thoughts. Um, Yeah, they do tend to lead to um, uh, some conflicts, and we try to mitigate those conflicts um, as as they arise. Uh, Educating them, um, because a lot of people don't know what the rules are, educating them about the rules really goes a long way. Certainly if there's cases where people are being reckless, um, egregious, disrespectful to people, uh, we, we can and we will issue fines. Okay, that's Sergeant Steve Addison from the Vancouver Police Department on an earlier show talking about e-scooter rule breakers. Leanne, what do you think of that? I agree with what he says in terms of a lot of people do not know what the rules of an e-scooter are. They're relatively new on the scene and they're treated as quite a novelty. Um, But I think that knowing that it is actually a Vancouver City bylaw and a BC Motor Vehicle Act regulation that you must be 16 years and older, that you should be wearing a helmet and that you abide by the rules of the road in uh, in a bike lane. These are things that a lot of our customers don't realize that they fit under this uh, category of safety. And when, once we're able to tell them these things before they set off, um, they're a lot more aware of what they're supposed to do and what they're not supposed to do. Furthermore, we um, attached a scooter safety information tag on the scooter so that they can see right up front there how to scoot safely and responsibility, responsibly. So it's yeah. quite clear to them what they can and cannot do on the scooter. Lots of people, I mean, we'll open the phone lines here after the break and see what people think, but I have a feeling, you know, there are some people who have bought these e-scooters and love them, and then there are others who maybe are not riding them and see people breaking the rules, right? Like I've heard from people who say, you know, I almost got smacked by one of these things on a sidewalk or or a crosswalk, or I see people riding them on 
streets where you're not supposed to. Like the rules right now are you're only allowed to ride them in a bike lane or on a side street, right? Like you can't you can't ride them on a major arterial like road, right? Correct. It's it's protected yeah. bike lanes that are recommended. Yeah, yeah. So there are rules about where you can ride them. But, you know, what would you say to people who, who, who see people breaking the rules? Well, we'll probably take away their, their um, privileges. And if we have any complaints, we take them very seriously and we note them on their file that they will not be able to ride again. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, Leanne, congratulations on, on the success with Go Scoot. Where, where can people get more information if they want to check out your rental company there? Uh, they can go to our website, which is the gosco.ca. Um, they can also call us on our toll-free line, which is one triple eight six six seven two six six eight, and we're open every day. Okay, cool. Thanks for coming on. Great. Thanks for having me, Mike.